earlier this year, and this is something I try to do every year, but earlier this year, I, I sent my, my wife and my two daughters to Quebec, where my wife is from, to be able to visit um, our family, and uh, more specifically, my in-laws. And um, I, I try to be a good dad, and um, uh, I decided that while my kids were gone, that I would buy them a bunk bed, and that I would build that sucker and I'm not bitter. I would build that thing and surprise my kids when they came home. And uh, this giant box arrives via UPS. And I was thinking, how hard can this be? It's a bed. It's got two sides, two ends, and a bottom. And then you just hit repeat because it's a bunk bed, right? How, I mean, it's, it's simple. And so I... I take a, a knife and I slice open the box and I lift it open and there's just a bunch of random pieces. <laughs> and what the heck am I supposed to do with this? And it didn't help that the instructions were pretty horrible. And if you've ever ordered furniture in a box or purchased furniture in a box, maybe you've felt my pain. Anybody? <laughs> I'm the only one? So the instructions, they looked like they were 10th generation photocopy. I mean, you know what that's like back when we had photocopiers. And the, the instructions were fuzzy. You couldn't even read them. The, the schematic was all screwed up. It, doesn't, it didn't make much sense. And so like I said, I, a, a bed is two sides, two ends, and a bottom. And then you hit repeat. And so I started pulling pieces out of the box. And I started making obvious to me, conclusions about where this piece goes and where this piece goes and where this piece goes and so on and so forth. And let's just say some mistakes were made, but I got through it and I was able to assemble the bed and it took me way longer than it was supposed to take me, but I got it done and I was a proud dad to be able to present that to my kids when they got home from their vacation. Now, it would have been so much better and so much nicer if the manufacturer had sent proper instructions and proper directions and more information with the product that they had provided me because that would have been simple for them to do, not very complicated. And, but the problem was they did not do that. And I thank God for his word. Because there are so many situations and things in Scripture that we can see that God has laid out for us to help us understand what it looks like to have a relationship with Him. Having a relationship with God does not have to resemble us fumbling around in uh, furniture in a box. We've been equipped God has given us his word. We can pay attention to his word. More often than not, it's incredibly easy to understand. We sometimes complicate it. And sure, there are some difficult Bible passages. But for for the most part, this is God saying, this is who I am, and this is how you can have a relationship with me, and I'm calling you into this relationship. As we look at this particular topic of the Holy Spirit, and tonight we're going to be focusing our, our attention on specifically the the topic of of spiritual gifts, we see that much has been written in God's word where 
to, you know, to guide us along, to, to lead us in our understanding of these things. Now, there's plenty of confusion, for sure. But if we look at God's word, it, it provides us with great insight so that we, as his children, as followers of Jesus Christ, understand the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of, Holy, of, of spiritual gifts in our lives. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Christians in Corinth, this is what he said to them. He said that, um, he said, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Second, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, that applies to the Christians in Corinth as much as it applies to Christians on the West Side. It applies to them as much as it applies to us. And so I love that here we have Paul addressing a situation where there was confusion and there was some situations that needed clarity and greater instruction. And Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then he puts them on blast which is kind of what I'm going to do with you tonight. Um, But so there's a lot to cover, and time does not allow us to do a deep dive into every single gift and to to, uh, figure that out to a a great degree, but we're going to do what we possibly can, and I hope to at least provide a biblical overview so that we have a better understanding of spiritual gifts, so that we're more aware of them, we're more educated on their purpose, and, uh, and what, they, it, what it looks like to put spiritual gifts into practice. Now, a lot of people don't understand spiritual gifts. They, there's, there's various reactions that people have when you bring up spiritual gifts. Some people don't even know what they are. Some are a little bit freaked out about spiritual gifts. Um, some people think that the gifts are a little bit weird. I bet you there are people in this room that are a little bit freaked out about what's about to, we're, what we're about to talk about. Uh, it happens. But all we need to do is follow the guidelines that have been given in Scripture for us to understand that Scripture and God in His sovereignty provides these guide rails and guardrails for us. And so that as, as we follow Scripture and we follow the guardrails that are given to us in Scripture, it can change our view of spiritual gifts. And as we pay attention and as we follow these guardrails, as we do, the fear and the cynicism, the abuses and the extremes can be avoided. So if you're worried about the abuses of spiritual gifts, if you're concerned about the extremes of spiritual gifts, don't be alarmed. We're going to be okay. If you don't know what the abuses and the extremes are, then don't worry about it. But I hope what we can see tonight is that there is something, and I want to say this, there's something refreshingly normal and uncomplicated about spiritual gifts. Oftentimes, spiritual gifts operate supernaturally within the natural. They often, I'm going to repeat that, spiritual gifts often operate supernaturally within the natural. And I think it's really sad, whenever we bring up spiritual gifts, oftentimes people's minds immediately go to things like tongues. That's always like the favorite example that people kind of go to, or they think of prophecy, and, and things like this. And it's unfortunate that, that our minds so quickly go there because those are only two of the gifts. And so to regard the gifts in that way where we allow two of these gifts, which freak some people out, to, to allow the, the, all of the gifts to be summed up by these two gifts is to actually have a low view and an inaccurate view of the gifts. 
So what I want to do tonight is I want to just start off by reading. There's, there's going to be a lot of scripture that we look at together. But what I want to do is I want to start off by reading through some of the gifts, some of the gifts that are listed in scripture, just to get a sense of what we're talking about. And these passages contain several key nuggets. And, I, and as we go through this, I want you to pay careful attention to what we are reading because they, they contain, um, uh, well, I said key nuggets that can shape our understanding of, of spiritual gifts. And I hope that you can pick up on some of them, these, na- these obvious conclusions that we can draw as, as the Bible is, is educating us about spiritual gifts. Now, if you participate in our reading plan that we send out every week, which I think Isaac mentioned, uh, our reading plan was 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that's where we're going to start. Um, and we even suggested, as we put out the information about a reading plan, to, to read all the way through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as it's incredibly insightful. But, um, but for the sake of time, what we're going to be doing is just skipping to the most relevant verses. And so even in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start at verse 1. And I've already mentioned this, but Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth that where there was a lot of confusion about spiritual gifts, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And jumping down to verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Interesting. To each is given the manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now jumping down to verse 27 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, really crazy stuff, right? Administrating. (laughs) And various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implication is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, if you would, turn to the book of Romans, which is to the left of where you are right now, if you're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Uh, but it will also be on the screen behind me, so if you don't want to turn there, that's totally okay. Jesus still loves you, and so do I. <laughs> for as in one body, Romans 12, starting at verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 6, having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service 
in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there are some examples of spiritual gifts in Scripture. And as you can see, and I commented, some of them are more miraculous, I would say, and others would seem to be quite normal. But what exactly are spiritual gifts? We we read some lists here, but what exactly are spiritual gifts? And this would be how I define them. Supernatural enablements given to every believer by God as he wills to build up and edify the church as they are exercised in accordance with the scriptures for the sake of God's mission. What I want to do tonight is sort of walk us through that definition in order for us to better understand the nature of spiritual gifts. So let's start at the beginning of that. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements. At the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, after the resurrection, one of the last things he told his followers was that they were to take the gospel to the nations. But before they did, he wanted to give them something. Luke 24 records what he said. Luke 24 and verse 49. And behold, this is Jesus speaking, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And now last week we talked about what it, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so here in this story we have Jesus commissioning his followers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, take the gospel to the nations. But he says, wait, 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 wait here. Before you go, wait here for the promise of my Father until you are clothed with power from on high, that being the Holy Spirit. And we know that as the story goes on, the Holy Spirit is poured out on, on, um, in an incredible way on what is known as the day of Pentecost. And uh, God's, God's Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And really we, what we see there is essentially what is recognized as the birth of the church. Because God's work cannot be completed with mankind's resources. Jesus is like, okay, I got some work for you to do. But wait, let me give you something first so that you can carry out this commission that I am giving you. So spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements in that when they are exercised, they cannot be explained by our own strength, our own power, our own ability, our own training, or our own experience. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements given to every believer by God as he wills. Every believer. Now, you might be thinking, well, not every believer. I've never spoken in tongues. I've never prophesied. I've never interpreted tongues. But again, that is to have, to view it that way, is to have a low view of spiritual gifts. And really, to be quite honest, an unbiblical view of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 7, this is something that we already read. This is what it says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. We all have spiritual gifts. 
And then in verse 11 of that same chapter, it says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, he referencing God. So the Holy Spirit is poured out. We are given spiritual gifts. Each one of us is given a spiritual gifts, a spiritual gift, and we are given a spiritual gift by his desire and by his will, not ours. By he wills, or as he wills, it says. God gives us spiritual gifts because they are part of his master plan for the church. This is how it works. If the church is going to function like Jesus intended it to function, and Jesus is the head of the church, if the church is going to function like Jesus intended it to function, it's going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if if we're going to function the way Jesus wanted us to function, spiritual gifts will be in operation. They will be in operation. It's just the way it is. God gives them to us because they're a part of his master plan. That, I, I, I mentioned that, that it's incredibly important. So, it, so for us to sort of lay aside or to be fearful or to decide that we don't want them or maybe to be overly hesitant or maybe to be overly cautious, we have to think that through. If this is something that is literally a gift given to us by Jesus and we are saying, no, I'm good, maybe that's not the posture that we want to take. Now, if we're nervous about what spiritual gifts are, if we're nervous about the implications of spiritual gifts and the operation and use of spiritual gifts, if we're uninformed, if we're uneducated, if we're to some degree ignorant of these things and unaware, that's fine. That's why we have his word. And that's what we're looking at tonight. And what this does in recognizing that, that we've all been giving, given spiritual gifts, what this does is it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off of us. Because we can't make the spirit move any more than you can go out in your sailboat and make the wind blow. It's not something that we have control over. So it takes the pressure off of us to, for the church to perform the way that it should. Because God said, I will build my church. Or Jesus said, more specifically, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the, 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 the purposes of the church will move forward. We're empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, we're given these spiritual gifts. And the pressure is off of us to, by ourselves, provide all of the resources and all of the effort and all of the spiritual fruit and all of the stuff to make the church function as God designed. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements given to every believer as he wills to build up and edify the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12 says, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's what they're for. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We already read that. It's for the common good. So this is the purpose of spiritual gifts. They are to build up. God gives them to us to build up and edify the church. They're for the common good. 
They are not for our own fulfillment. They are for everybody else. So again, if spiritual gifts are something that we choose to deny and don't want any part of or don't want to take hold of and sort of want to pretend that they don't exist and they're not part of God's plan, what we're really doing is something that's very unloving to the person that's sitting next to you. We're ripping them off because spiritual gifts have been given to us to build up and edify the church. And so, if we recognize that, we need to monitor our own heart's motivation and sort of figure out what's going on with our perspectives on these things. What is molding and shaping our ideas? Is it God's word? Are we submitted to God's word in this way? Or is it something external? But we're to eagerly desire these gifts. But we have to be careful that our desire for the gifts, and now I'm speaking to those that, that don't have the, the obstacles and the hang-ups about spiritual gifts, that even our desire for spiritual gifts is rooted in our love for others. And if you do have those obstacles in your way, I would encourage you to try to get past them out of love for other people. They're not about attention for ourselves. They're not about gaining uh, recognition for any way that God might use us for his work. They're not about that. It's not about anything for us. It's about love for others and operating these gifts for the betterment of the church, for the building up and the edification of the church. But sometimes we can have sort of a flippant view of spiritual gifts. So now I'm talking about those that believe theologically in the spiritual gifts and those that practically seek to operate spiritual gifts. And sometimes we, we are, sometimes our motivation is a little bit skewed where we are doing it for personal recognition and to trying to attain and, and gain attention for various things. But author Warren Wearsby says, spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with. Tools to build with because they build, this is how we build up one another. This is how we build the church. Or we build up and edify the church. Another way that... Um, it sometimes looks in our lives is that people can sometimes, especially when they, they, they agree with that and they recognize, oh yeah, we, need the, we want to see the spiritual gifts that are in operation in, in our lives and in our church. People sometimes seek manifestations of spiritual gifts in order to edify themselves and, and in the pursuit of, uh, of sort of uh, emotional experiences. In the pursuit of these experiences that will, in some way, and they view them as bringing them some sort of personal fulfillment. And it's very comparable to, to chasing after a high. And uh, probably a lot of people in this room have experienced what that's like, especially as a, newer, a younger and a newer believer. That's what happened with me. I, was, I came to faith, and I didn't really understand a whole lot about what was going on, but I was counting on my church uh, on the weekends to be my spiritual pick-me-up. And I was, I was spiritually dying throughout the week, and then I'd show up on Sundays like, oh, okay, good. I got my spiritual pick-me-up. 
And sometimes people relate to spiritual gifts in that way, where they, they take their, their church involvement and their church attendance and they turn it into this thing where they're seeking after the spiritual high and they um, are, are seeking to have this emotional experience for their own personal fulfillment and the manifestation of the gifts is, is typically part of that and they want that to be this thing that, they're, that, they're, that's, that's sort of going to keep them going. And then they become emotionally charged experiences. Uh, these church gatherings can be, and, and our feelings at that time, how we feel about that is verifying that, yep, something good is happening, and God is moving, and this is amazing, and I love this, and I'm going to tweet about it and put it on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with experiencing God. I'm not saying that, that God is not someone that we experience. And very often, an authentic encounter with God will stir the emotions. I recognize that. But where we go wrong is when we make it more about the emotional experience and feeling something, we make it more about that than we make it about Jesus. Can you see how that's a subtle trap? We pursue this thing that is a godly thing and is a good thing and a spiritual experience and we're worshiping and we're, we're singing and we're, and we're praying and, and it's good and it's emotionally charged and that's a good thing because it's technically about God but in the midst of all that, our pursuit is maybe the experience and maybe we're not actually pursuing Jesus. Feelings are fickle. Feelings are not foundational. Jesus is foundational. And we have to be careful that even in our pursuit of spiritual gifts, as we eagerly desire spiritual gifts, that we don't miss Jesus. And that we don't forget that spiritual gifts are a means to an end. They are not the end in and of themselves. They are a means to an end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, we are told, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And so we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But here's the, here's the warning. We cannot attempt to engineer. In our eagerness, we are sometimes guilty of attempting just that. We can pray a little bit more fervently or worship a little bit more passionately. And if we think if we can do these things, we can then usher in the Holy Spirit but that's not how it works. We can't engineer this stuff. We already eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but we cannot engineer it. Pastor and theologian Sam Storms, he says this, we cannot compel the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot create the operation of a spiritual gift in accordance with biblical standards of conduct. We can obey and pray that the Spirit will be pleased to blow in and through our acts of obedience. If the Spirit chooses not to move, we cannot, indeed we must not, attempt to coerce Him. So as I mentioned, spiritual gifts are not the end in and of themselves. They are a means to an end. And so we can think of it this way. A spiritual gift is given to you for me, let's just say, to you for me, thereby making it a gift to me and then to all of us. And has been given to all of us, the church, to enable the church, God's chosen vehicle, to carry out his work in the world. This is what a blessing spiritual gifts are. 
supernatural enablements given to every believer by God as he wills to build up and edify the church as they are exercised in accordance with the scriptures. It's to protect the purpose of spiritual gifts. That's why they need to be exercised in accordance with the scriptures. To protect that value, to protect their purpose, that they are to build up and edify the church. Because if they are not exercised properly, if spiritual gifts are not operating in accordance with scripture, not only will they not edify, not only will they not build up the church, but they could actually do the opposite. And we see that happening in some instances in scripture. Because it's possible to use legitimate gifts illegitimately. Just because someone is legitimately operating in a gift, or let's just say operating in a gift that is a legitimate gift, that does not mean that they are doing it in light of what Scripture says or in light of how Scripture instructs. That is the danger. That's where it becomes unsafe. That's where people start to get freaked out and weird because it's an unsafe environment. And if you want to engage in a fascinating study on this, I'm not going to recommend a book for you to read. I'm just going to recommend a chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you haven't read that through this week as part of our reading plan, spend some time reading 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and read through the safeguards. Read through the guardrails that God is putting in place to educate us and to equip us so that we can recognize how these things are to be operated. So spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements given to every believer by God as he wills to build up and edify the church as they are exercised in accordance with the scriptures for the sake of God's mission. Because spiritual gifts are as significant to the church as the church is to God's mission. I want to make sure you catch that. Spiritual gifts are as significant to the church as the church is to God's mission. And the church is definitely significant to God's mission. The church is God's plan A for carrying out his work in the world. There is no plan B. And God has established the church for his mission, and he has given gifts to the church to build up the church as we've already established. So spiritual gifts enable us. They edify others, and they move the mission forward. They enable us. They edify others, and they move the mission forward. And that's why we have a responsibility to use our gifts, the gifts that we have been given, that each of us have been given. Now, that sort of that brings us to, we can start to shift gears a little bit. We've kind of covered some of this biblical basis for some of these things. Now I want to get into some of the controversy. Now I want to get into some of what really makes this a difficult topic for some people. I'm going to start talking about the so-called sign gifts. Because remember how we, we read through the passage and we agreed that nobody's freaked out over administration, right? In the sense that it's not a scary gift. It's scary if you have to be the one administrating maybe and you're not wired that way. But let's talk about the sign gifts, the showy gifts. So in contrast to gifts like helps, uh, helping, administration, leadership, mercy, exhortation, yeah, not scary, right? Not weird, pretty normal. Sign gifts, I would suggest, are still normal. But they are things like tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, etc. Now, this is where some people get off the bus. Like, all right, you had me at administration and mercy. 
But now you're talking about all kinds of weird jacked up stuff. And so I'm, I'm done. But some people get nervous about these things. They, get, they, they become a little bit wary of, of spiritual gifts because these, these gifts may be unfamiliar to them or maybe they've been in situations where biblical guidelines have not been followed. And as I mentioned earlier, they were not safe spaces as a result of that. Others get off the bus when we talk, start talking about this because they've concluded that these gifts have, uh, were given by God to jumpstart the church and only for that purpose and that they are no longer needed or in operation today. Respectfully, we would disagree. Our view at Collective Church, which we've covered several times, we will cover it again tomorrow night in our Discover Doctrine class. Our view is a continuationist view because we believe that spiritual gifts, including the sign gifts, have not ceased but continue on and are still in operation today, that they, may, they are to be eagerly desired because we already read the passage that tells us to do that and should be understood and exercised within biblical parameters. So let's briefly look at a few of these sign gifts because I don't want to talk about this and sort of tease you without getting into it a little bit because I know you're going to have a, a billion questions for me. So let's look at a few of these sign gifts in order to hopefully gain some clarity and understanding about what they are. Let's start with tongues and the interpretation of tongues because I know that's what everyone wants to know about. So tongues, as a a brief definition, tongues are a language spoken that is unknown to the speaker, as in it's not a language that they've studied or it's not a language that they are are fluent in. It's 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 a language that is unknown to the speaker. Now, while the language is unknown to the speaker, it is possible that it may be a known tongue to someone else. We see that again on, uh, I mentioned this earlier, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out. They begin speaking in tongues. And observers, that people that were around, say, are saying this is crazy because they didn't speak their, they, they, they knew who these people were and knew that they didn't speak their language. But this is what they say. They said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the Bible says that they were speaking in tongues, but we have people here from, from another region and another language that it was understanding and comprehending these people declaring the mighty works of God. Tongues may also be a heavenly language. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul makes a reference to uh, tongues of men and of angels. So it's possible that it is a so-called heavenly language. But here's the key. In order for tongues to edify others, they must be accompanied by the gift of interpretation. In order for them to edify others, in order for tongues to edify others, they must be accompanied by the gift of interpretation. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that there must be an interpreter. Otherwise, it's just unintelligible noise is basically what he's saying. And if there is no interpretation, the spiritual gift of tongues should not be exercised. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 8, he says, If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Why? Because without interpretation, it can't possibly edify because you don't know what the person is saying. It doesn't edify you. That's why there's this biblical parameter here. We are further told, that only two or at the most three should speak in tongues. And that's, of course, assuming there's an interpreter. And we also know that tongues are addressed to God, not to us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, the beginning of the chapter, very clearly says that tongues are spoken to God and not to man. And so because they're addressed to God, they often will uh, come in the form of prayers or praise, as, they, as I mentioned earlier, as they did on the day of Pentecost. So, so here's the thing. If the, if the interpretation, if someone speaks in a tongue and the interpretation takes on the form of thus saith the Lord or a message from God to his people, guess what? It's not an interpretation because tongues are addressed to God, not to man. See, when we look at scripture like this, it builds in these guardrails, the safety for us to be able to operate the gifts within biblical parameters. So if that's, and there's so much more that I could say about tongues, but um, if that's tongues and interpretation of tongues, what about the other uh, revelatory gifts? The other gifts that have to do with revelations of some sort. And these would be um, described as something that the Spirit of God spontaneously reveals or makes known to the human heart and mind. So they would include things like words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy. This is God revealing things through dreams, through visions, through impressions, that sort of a thing. Um, that's the, the other side of, of the, uh, the freak-out factor for some people. But these things le- legitimately are given to us by God. Words of knowledge would be when someone has um, knowledge of something that they wouldn't normally or otherwise know. A word of wisdom might be something like um, where in that, in that moment they're able to apply something or understand something um, uh, and have clarity on a particular thing that does not come from their own experiences or training or whatever. Prophecy would be sort of declaring the things of God, revelations of God from God to us, and the things that God is seeking to reveal. Uh, and, and anyway, it, it goes on and on here. But, and, and again, like I mentioned earlier, we can't do a deep dive on this, and we've got to end this at some point. But in, in, in understanding some of these things, I know that the question now is, how do I identify what my spiritual gifts are? Are they one of the tongues, like you know, revelatory types and tongues and prophecies and you know, um, like that, or are they mercy, helps, administration, leadership, those sorts of things, hospitality? Well, I'm happy to tell you that you kind of don't have to worry about it, and that might seem contrary to everything I'm saying because I said earlier that you have to, if you have a gift, you have to use it. But you kind of don't have to spend a whole lot of time stressing out and worrying, worrying about which gift you have been given because all you have to do is get busy and look for opportunities to serve and meet needs. Through that experience, my, uh, I would expect that you will discover gifts that you have. I know in my own life, when I got saved and I started just participating in the work of God and, and in various ways and contributing to what God was doing via a local church, I started serving in capacities and then ended up um, serving in capacities that I would have never assumed I would have any ability in. And if you had known me back in the day, you would have known that oh, you don't need Lorenzo in that spot. He's going to fail horribly. And then they ended up becoming, and it became apparent to me, and it wasn't even me that discovered it at first. It was other people that affirmed these things in me. Oh, this must be a spiritual gift. Because I didn't know that I could do this. 
So if you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, number one, just get busy. Look for opportunities to serve and meet needs. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12. With yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Just seek ways to build up the church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. This is often how we discover the gifts that we have. Another way to discover what gifts you have is to pray and just ask God to show you. Pray that God would show you how he desires to use you to serve others and how he has equipped you to do so. Just pray. Ask him to show you. Also, um, as I mentioned earlier, in my own experience, you will recognize that you have an ability that you didn't have before. And also, people will affirm your capabilities, and it might even come as a shock and a surprise to you. It's through these various ways that we're able to discover various gifts that we have. But whatever you do, don't wait to discover your gifts in order to serve. No, 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 no. God did not tell me that I have the spiritual gift of serving in kids' ministry or setting up chairs. And last time I checked, I don't think Pastor Lorenzo mentioned setting up chairs as a spiritual gift. So I think I'm going to hold off on that for now. Can we pump the brakes? That'd be great. Whatever you do, don't, don't wait for that. And I would say, and I would suggest that that's one of the problems and one of the unintended con- con- uh, uh, consequences of, of really d- sort of demanding for ourselves that we need to know what our spiritual gifts are. It holds us back from opportunities that God might seek to use us in for his glory, to build up the church and to edify others. And I'm not even talking about the organizational side of church, of setting up chairs and serving in kids' ministry. I'm just talking about serving and loving people and being used by God in those opportunities. So whatever you do, do not wait to discover your gift before you decide you're going to serve and love others. And I believe that you will find that you have, over time, you will discover spiritual gifts that you have. But that, that is the danger in being preoccupied with what gifts that we have. John Piper, well-known pastor and author, he said, you shouldn't bend your mind too much trying to label your spiritual gift. I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a, sorry, I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a basic problem. More basic is the problem of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. In other words, don't worry about it. There's a good chance your spiritual gifts will become apparent to you and and to others as well as you position yourself to love and to serve others. And now... Here is my pastoral appeal to you, Collective Church. Regarding spiritual gifts, there are five appeals that I will make to you, and they all start with A, because I'm Canadian, eh? Number one, align your understanding with what the Bible says. I appeal to you, wherever you're landing on this, Align your understanding with what the Bible says. Number two, I appeal to you, ask for and eagerly desire the gifts because scripture tells us to, and it's good for the church. Number three, affirm gifts that you see in others. That helps them understand and recognize 
their gifts. And it's just encouraging. And it's just nice. Can we be nice? Can we encourage one another? That would be great. Where am I at? Number four. This is key. Accept no credit. In and out used to be like that, right? That just came to me. Sorry. That was a bad one. <laughs> Accept no credit and ascribe none to others for what the Spirit does. If it's really the Spirit doing it, don't take the glory. Don't take the credit. You can be nice and say thank you when someone's paying you a compliment, but in your head, don't, don't let it puff you up. Don't let, don't let it become a matter of pride for you. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty amazing. God really used me tonight. I know I'm not going to be saying that on my way home tonight, but don't let it go to your head and accept no credit and ascribe none to anybody else. Compliment, encourage, say thank you, be nice, right? We already established that. But don't give them credit as if it is them that are responsible for the work that the Spirit does. Encourage them as a servant of God. Say, thank you for your service, or I appreciate the way you've allowed God to use you, or hey, just so you know, I want to encourage you because God really used you in my life tonight. But don't ascribe credit to them as if they're the source. Last, number five, and this is related. This is the flip of that coin. Attribute all glory and honor to the giver. Now, I could have said those last two together, like take no glory and give glory, but I wanted to really make the point by making it itself its own point, accept none yourself. But then intentionally, it's not just about not taking it and receiving it, but it's like, no, intentionally and deliberately attribute all glory and honor to the giver. One of my favorite things about spiritual gifts is to think about what they communicate about the character and nature of God. Think about it. The various gifts. What do they communicate about the character and nature of the giver? Well, at the very least, they communicate that he's a giving God. They communicate that he's a generous God because everyone has a gift, right? It communicates that he works through broken, flawed, and needy people. People that don't deserve that. People that don't deserve to be used by him in his work. Because we all know we're not good enough, right? God didn't get that memo, though. It also communicates that he shows his love for us by giving us everything we need in order to live for him. How cruel would that be, right? He's like, okay, this is how I need you to live. And now, okay, good luck. You suck. You're never going to make it. No, no, no. He says, he's calling us into a relationship with him. He's calling us to live a life of holiness and to live for him and to be salt and light in this world and be ambassadors for him and reach people and make disciples and all of that. And he says, you know what? I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you spiritual gifts to help you be an effective witness He does not set us up for failure. This is not an impossible task that he's given us. Think about how that communicates something to us about the character and nature of God, the spiritual gifts. He invites us to participate in his work. Why would he do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. 
but he invites us to participate in his work and he doesn't leave us alone to figure it out on our own with just limited resources. Another thing that comes to mind is that it, it shows us that he is always on our side. And it shows us and reminds us that he is the head of the church. And a church is made up of people, so it's us, but it's not about us at all. It's about his work. And he chooses to use us in his work. So now how we seek the good of others and contributing our gifts models. Think about this. Speaking of his character as nature. How we seek the good of others and contributing our gifts models the selfless service of Jesus who came into this world taking on the form of a servant and giving his very life for mankind. As we receive eagerly and, des- and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and we were open to that, and we put those things into practice for the building up of the church and the edification of the church and the blessing of other people. It models the heart of Jesus, the servant's heart of Jesus. And we could go on and on and on forever. I mean, I think the list could be endless about what the fact that we are given these spiritual gifts, what it communicates about the character and nature of God, but I, but I love to just ponder that and to sit with that and to think about that. And it is my hope and prayer for a collective church that spiritual gifts would be in operation, that we would eagerly desire them, that we would stir them up in one another, that we would encourage people that we would not be overly fearful or hesitant or guarded or cautious, but that the gifts that God has given to us, very literally here, that we would say, thank you, I'll take that. And pray to receive others, other gifts. Maybe God's put it on your heart that You want to have the spiritual gift of mercy or tongues and interpretation of tongues or whatever it is, whatever desire you have, let's just remember this is not for us, but it's for other people. And we can actually pray because we eagerly desire that we can pray that God gives us these gifts. And that is my hope and that is my prayer for a collective church, that we would be a church community, that spiritual gifts are in operation for the good of the church and the blessing of God's people. Let's pray.